Episode 139, November 22nd, 2020. Mike Hogan here with Bob Nastanovich. Bob, what's up, my man? Hey, Mike, how are you, my man? <laughs> I'm good. Oh, uh, you know, I mean, I guess I'm as good as can be expected these well, days. Well, you know, you're safe and sound. That's true. That's true. That's as good as could be expected. We'll that, take that. That is. You know. It absolutely is. Yeah, and you're breathing well. You're getting around, you I, know. I am, indeed. It's... um. How are your tech difficulties work working out? Have you figured that out? That not we're not going to get into it, but just like on a scale of one to ten, how's your tech situation? Um, so the the short version is it's stable, um, right. but it's not a long term solution. Okay, all right. Well, that's good enough. So we're going to make this show hum. Episode one thirty nine, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to um, a song that was released about ten days ago. Ooh. By a friend of mine who I met when he was about about Teddy's age. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. A gentleman named Eric Dimmick. He records with his uh, mate Sonny Cole, and uh, Eric is the son of uh, Andy Dimmick, pavement roadie extraordinaire, and also like a tremendous musician himself. Via acts like Baby Mammoth and Marble Valley, and and his wonderful wife, Carrie. And uh, he's been working. He's, he's like a prodigious musician. Mm-hmm. He's like a kid. Like, um, I think he can play his fair share of football. But like, basically, he's like, when I first saw him, like, there was, he plays guitar left-handed. There's guitars, keyboards, drums. Like, he's a multi-instrumentalist. And like, very talented kid and like he and his mate like they've been playing shows like essentially in like their parents back garden for years but also he messes around with a really cool band of dudes um our age called bunker pop great hall band which includes bliss from baby mama and uh he just started dribbling out his own material and uh, not to be confused this is his first song ever on the uh, internet and everything else that comes with it. Not to be confused with the Christopher Cross song, Sail Away, or any other song called Sail Away. This is Sail Away by Eric Dimmick and Sonny Cole. Fresh music from Hull. Thank you. 
distracted I'm trying to get this money, man, the woman come after Tell my brother, no, man, she's overreacting To all the lies of fate, man, she's needing attachments Honestly, I can see what you mean That this life's make-believe Tell me what you want from me So how to die before I get to see Starting smooth, Bob. Yeah, the groove, man. When I say Hull, I mean East Riding of Yorkshire Hull. You know, like, I guess I refer to Hull a lot on the show, right? You do. But, like, not everybody knows that city. It's a great city. And um, Eric's just an amazing kid. It's interesting to, like, see a kid, like, once every couple of years and, like, watch his voice change (laughs) and watch him grow up and stuff like that. But, like, uh, just a super... Super kid, super talented kid. And like, one thing I want to mention is that Matador Records um, has a really cool program going on this holiday season where they realize that all of the road crews that work with all of their bands have been kind of unable to work for most of the year for obvious reasons. And um, the program includes you nominate your 
your roadies in the in the case of our three nominees uh remco shouting who who's done sound for pavement and the jicks and andy dimmick eric stad and and uh bobby beige robert ellerby um they're they're uh giving them proper uh donations uh to help them during these arduous times i think it's really cool but like uh meanwhile eric likes a you know he's a bedroom artist so like he can make his magic in his house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean that was that was cool that that kind of had this like soul hip-hop vibe almost like a a modern shuggy otis yeah and, like he's like the kind of kid that like his all he does is kind of like listen to music and play music and his playlists are really cool and um so he's like he's like the one of those kids that he's so much growing up around like people 20 30 40 years older than him that like even at like 13 he's like just a natch like yeah. when it comes to hanging out with the adults you know what i mean yeah. like so really how, smart kid. how old like, is he now i'd say he's 18 okay and um his mate, I don't. I think I imagine his mate's about his age as well, Sonny Cole. How did so? so that you said this is the only song that they've released, and you heard they just put out another one. They're just like uh, they're dribbling them out. Okay, and you just you, yeah. your buddy. I mean, I'm guessing his dad or somebody said, "Hey, check check this out." That just, no, no, Eric. No, Eric, Eric. Oh, Eric reached yeah, out to you. Okay, yeah. cool. Eric's on social media and stuff like that. No, he didn't. He didn't reach out to me. It's just like, I guess Instagram. Or something like, you know, he announced he's still going to start putting out his music about a month ago, and here came that, and I, I just thought it was incredibly groovy and cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. Keep an eye out for him. Um, what's his uh, What's his handle? Do you know? At Eric Dimmick. At Eric Dimmick. D I yeah, D I M M A C K. Okay. Noted. All right. Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to keep it in the UK. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, uh, and I'm going to go back in time. Ooh, I guess nearly forty years. Um, you, it's a long time. Your song was ten days old. This is um, <laughs> from a cassette. I'd keep it fresh, Mike. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play something from a cassette released in uh, 1982. The group is named Oppenheimer Analysis. Similar to um, Eric Dimmick and Sonny Cole, this is a duo. They're comprised of Andy Oppenheimer and Martin Lloyd. Uh, And they put out this one cassette called New Mexico in 1982. And it basically, I think there were a couple hundred made. They sold them at gigs. They sold them around... Uh, and it's been a bit, become a bit of a legendary release. Kind of, you know, I, I think like early new wave synth pop soft cell is probably a, a, a good uh, um, touch point. Reference point. Good yeah. reference point. But I um, think you might like it. Uh, I'm going to play a song called Security Risk from there uh what's well, and it's been reissued now i think you can find it it's probably not easy to find but um it's available uh from the new mexico record um oppenheimer that's Alex. the name of the cassette new mexico yes exactly uh cool. 
Security Risk is the name of the song. Here you go. Cool. It's in the way to look at you. The clothes you wear, the books you read. Looking for another view. Only trying to succeed. Could it be that they suspect your game is that they're onto you? They, had, they actually released a 7-inch under the name Analysis in 1981 before they put out that tape. I wonder why they dropped the Oppenheimer bit. <laughs> or or, or they, why they picked it up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that was like relentlessly obscure. They were kind of obvious. To me, like they were influenced by orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Yeah, them too. This kind of reminds, reminds me of like a lot of their early brilliance yeah omd yeah yeah you've played omd on the show before you know yeah just, just a really good uh you know it's it's maybe not like you said uh, there, there's you can definitely hear some influences and it sounds of a time but it also sounds very fresh i wonder what they knew about new mexico <laughs> i don't know <coughs> i don't I mean, know you know. 
Uh, like, what if they had like a magazine about New Mexico or something? Maybe. Right? Um, I mean, there's not. A, there is a song on on it called New Mexico, but like, there's not really a whole lot of information about uh, the band or what their deal was. And you said it's being like re-released on vinyl now. Like, it's it's been <clears throat> re-released a few times. Um, you know, I don't know how easy it is to find. Uh, I, I wouldn't know. I yeah. think. Um, yeah, I mean, you can still you can still get it. It was a double twelve inch uh, put out about four or five years ago. But even still, like I mean, the vinyl versions, you know, it's editions of five hundred, so it's not like well, that's what we do. That's what we do. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Got to move the units. They can't collect dust. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So, um, but they're fun. You know, just a good band. Oh yeah, really enjoyed that. I'll play some rock and roll music. Perfect. Because I guess we haven't really done that tonight. We played a lot of, well, we're only two in, but there's been plenty of, like, smoothness, you know, like kind of like home recordings, you know. Absolutely. But uh, this is a band that's, like, kind of famous for their live show via their somewhat electric, dynamic performer, Tim Harrington, the lead singer. Pretty famous band, really. Uh, New York City band, although they met at Rhode Island School of Design, amazing art school, in the 90s. And um, their bass player, Sid Butler, he started a label called French Kiss. And I think that his band, Les Savi Fav, is like the main vehicle for it. And um, this song, I think, was probably recorded like the late 90s. Amazing live performers. Specifically, the singer Tim, who changes his clothes many times throughout the course of a show. This is one of their more famous songs um, called The Sweat Descends.
the savvy fav. Yeah, they got their point across there, I think, um, in the last minute of the song, to uh, meet Tim Harrington where the sweat descends. <laughs> It's a big, a big, it's a big lad. Uh, a bi- um, very uh, kind of Euro uh, feel for a, for a New York band. Well, I thought that like um, the guitar player who I, I don't know is I think his name's Andrew, and um, I thought it had kind of like a yeah yeah yeah's feel to mm-hmm. it. You know, yeah, yeah, his um, guitar playing style, and um, could hear that for sure. And they they gathered all their uh, their. They did a really cool thing because um, bands don't really do this, but like um, they compiled everything into it, an album called Inches on French Kiss. I think they're distributed by Wichita, which is a big UK EU label, and um, they kind of made all their music available for a fair price, which mm-hmm. is cool. That is cool. Again, Sid Butler runs French Kiss, and um, a band that I was completely looking forward to seeing this year at Primavera Sound, uh, which, of course, did not come together this year, hopefully next year. Um, but they're supposed to play. And, like, I think I've talked about this, like, you know, bands that don't kick ass live. And I think that one great thing about Wasabi Fav is, like, they they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they put on a performance. Did you guys ever and, play uh, with, with them? Did they ever blow pavement off the stage? No, they never had their opportunity because they didn't really get going until after we ended. But yeah, um, they would have done a Primavera Sound, I'm sure. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, just a great band. Cool. Yeah, and, they're a band. You know, I mean, I think I've mentioned. I think you've mentioned too that there was a time in the late '90s, early 2000s, where we both like kind of stopped following independent music um, in a lot of, and and they, they came on the scene right as I was like, I was familiar with them, but I was not as deep into it as I had been a few years prior or even a few years later, like now. So they're one of those bands. That's a little bit of a gap for me. Well, yeah, because like our lives ascended into the pith of, American horse racing via employment, me as a chalk agent. I don't know, actually, when when did you start working at the racing forum? Oh, not until 2014, so... But did you have jobs in racing before them? Nope, never. What'd you do, what was your job before the DRF? Uh, I've just always been in marketing, program management, project management, so, uh, you know, digital web kind of stuff. Um, so what were you doing like in the early 2000s in terms of music? You just took, you decided to take a break? Because uh, like in my case, like I was in a band and then like I got a job as a jockey agent like, and I kind of needed like space. Well, I mean, I was still tour managing a lot of bands. Right. Like I still... Right. For me, music... Stay in touch. What I was doing was I was exploring other sounds. So I was going back into blues i was going back into jazz i was going deep into like free jazz oh i see and, so like you kind of stop like because basically your finger had been on the pulse since you first started listening to music as a teenager yeah and 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 I then was, you like so you listen to like new music hard for like 15 years yeah and then you're like I need to explore like things that led to like what I've always loved. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it too was 
around that time is when I stopped more actively doing the label um, and more. Oh actively, yeah, there's that too. When more the, actively the, 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 distributing the label, and so I was less aware of what the new stuff was. Um, and and so I just it it was almost freeing in a way to allow me to take a breath and step back and explore a lot of older sounds. Well, I mean, you've definitely shown that on the show. Like, so you accrued a lot of knowledge that you've shown on the podcast in the 139th episode that you wouldn't have been able to show like in 2005. Right. Exactly. And, and certainly not in 2000, you know, a lot of that stuff. I was really just, you know, tip of the iceberg sort of thing. So how were you, how were you getting your music back then? Like in the, during this period of like, you know, researching the past, like, you know, occasionally what I would do is I would, you know, like like we've talked about before, you go to a record store, you go to a certain section, you know, like, Oh, it's the blues section. And I would be like, Oh, I know I like this certain kind of early folk blues or, you know, like, so in some ways you just pick it up and be like look this looks weird looks interesting it's it's relatively cheaply priced and because it's a used copy so I'll just buy it and you know also I was diving into there were a lot of box sets that were coming out around that time I think if oh, I totally correctly there was the reissue of the American anthology of um that was amazing about that and folk, like the Arhuli box set yep um and there was the stacks complete stacks volt um Did you buy all that stuff seven inch yeah i bought i bought those and so it just well, there kinda, you go i mean like basically like those three sets take yeah. up at least three years of listening it just it just sort of opened up all these avenues to me you know and i talked about like getting into watt stacks and watching that and like you know i was a white kid from the suburbs in la like I went to a school, a high school of maybe 5,000 kids, and there were probably 10 kids that were black, uh, and eight of the 10 were in sports. Um, so I was not really around too many, you know, minorities, and I wasn't exposed to, like, you know, other than like commercial radio and MTV and stuff like that, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of the like deeper stuff. And so that early two thousands, late, late nineties, early two thousands was, was sort of where I started diving, <laughs> going deep. Well, you kind of like stopped the, you know, punk rock first. Right. Indie rock next. And, and, you know. and I think part of it was, you know, a lot of the bands that I had loved yeah, they would always mention their influences. Well, but a lot of the, by the late '90s, a lot of those bands they were gone. You know, I mean, the Minutemen didn't exist. Firehose oh, they, didn't yeah, well, exist. Yeah, the like, Minutemen died. You yeah, guys, like, you guys, were, in, we you guys know? were breaking up. You know, um, 
you know, Sebado, like I, I kind of lost a little bit of interest, like Super Chunk, I lost a little bit, like a lot of these bands, like it just felt like they were remaking a lot. Sonic and, Youth, they kept Son- on going, Se- but like, like. I kept, yeah, I kept, I kept on with Sonic Youth, but, but, but I mean, Sonic Youth helped open a lot of sounds, you know, the, those, those EP series that they did and those collaborations and, um, you know, I just really started exploring different sounds at that point. What about REM? Like, how much of an impact, like, was REM? Because REM for a California kid, I think we talked about this before, but, like, as a kid that was raised in Richmond, Virginia, like, REM was huge, like, but they were, like, did, like... They were, they were absolutely huge for me in in high school, for sure. Um, you know, Life's Rich Pageant, Document, Life's, Life's Rich Pageant was probably right when I first discovered them, or actually, like, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, Fables of the Reconstruction. So I was a little late to the party. Well, Fables is great. Um, and, you know, up through Because you know, they only actually went to the West Coast after those, rec- I mean, right. records came out, because, like, right. Chronic Town, Murmur, Reckoning, they were yeah. all, like, you know, they're playing in Virginia. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, di- I didn't have as many opportunities to see them. And I was younger. I was much younger, too. Remember, I'm a few years younger than you. So um, Easy. But, like, uh, in SST, though, you had that. That's true. But by the time I was of an age, in the late 80s, to start going to see shows, the Minutemen were no longer around. I mean, granted, I saw Firehose a bunch. I saw the Meat, Me too, yeah. I saw the meat Puppets a bunch. Um but you know, I missed the Black Flag era. I missed the Husker Du era. Uh, I missed um, just so many like the stuff that SST was releasing in the late '80s into early '90s. Well, I know I've asked you before, but like, where would you go see gigs when you were like a teenager, and like you know, before you went to college? Um, like all ages, or like yeah, I'd, I mean, I'd, ha- I'd have to drive to L.A. You know, I mean, the so sun- you'd have to drive. Like, so in, yes. did you have any older friends that would drive you? Yeah, I mean, when a, by the time I had, you know, by the time I hit sixteen, um, I had friends my age, not really older. Um, sometimes we would drive to, to um, you know, like Santa Barbara. I saw Jane's Addiction um, early. In Santa Barbara. How was that? How was that? It was pretty wild. Um, I bet. And yeah. and uh, like early in terms of like three hundred people being there, kind of thing. No, no, no. It was bigger than that. I mean, it was like it was um, nothing shocking era. So they were they were start of starting to get the hype. And Mary's Danish opened, and actually so Mary's the, Danish. I haven't heard that name in a the, long time. The very first opening band was a local band. Santa Barbara local band, unsigned, <laughs> unsigned local band called Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh no shit! Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I don't. I mean, I've never heard one of their songs, but they're fucking massive, aren't they? Uh, they were, they were, and they were, they but... were, they were pretty good live. Like, like I remember liking them, and they, they did, they did a pretty good cover of um, Joni Mitchell's "Big Yellow Taxi," that was relatively memorable. Um, and you know, I mean, I don't know if it came. Toad across. the Wet Sprocket. That's like a name that doesn't pop in my head. <laughs> but they were big. They were I mean, big. I know the name. Um, and uh, you know, and so like I would go to, I would go see shows at like McCabe's Guitar Shop. Um, Firehose played there a lot, you know. And it was it was crazy because it was 
I mean, it was like it was a guitar shop and there would be guitars hanging on the walls and it it wasn't like a real music venue. I mean, they, they had shows, but like they all kind of, the bands had to play kind of quiet. Um, oh, shit, that's awful. Yeah, but it was it was interesting. And it was I mean, it would it made it and it was like, like seated. But it was um, so I would, I would save your ears. It saved your ears for sure. Yeah. Um, Lord knows, like, but th- I was just telling somebody the other night, like a good friend of mine, Kellen, like, he's a big Bob Mould fan. Like, <laughs> when I saw like New Day Rising at Rockets in Richmond, and it was like four hundred people, like, the, like I can point to that night um, <laughs> and several other shows, like, just being like an idiot kid in Richmond, like a teenage kid in Richmond, like. And the stacks were amazing, like like just like actual damage, like right, right. you know. For me, and we would all we didn't know we didn't know it was like permanent hurt. Right, this is before this is before anybody had any earplugs. Right, yeah. Unless you were in the band. For me, it was know. probably like ninety one, ninety two. Yola Tango and My Bloody Valentine. Um, well, My Bloody Valentine was vicious in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was but that was in a bigger place, like right. It was. It was yeah, relatively big, like Warfield, I think. Um, yeah, Warfield's huge, but like you see, tiny bands, just like I mean, I saw like I saw Swans, and everybody be like, "Oh, you'll be doubled over in pain from the volume." And I was like, "They're nowhere near as loud as like you know, psychic powerless era or locus abortion te- technician era buttholes." Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, I mean, or just even like any other band, like, because the, the space was so tight, you'd be as loud as you want. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, honestly, when I was in high school, it was hard for me to find shows that I was able to go see because they had to be all ages or, or you know, like, I didn't have a fake ID or anything like that. And um, I never had one. I, I, again, I had a friend that, like, booked all the shows in Richmond and in Charlottesville, Maynard. Um, Mark Thomason and Richmond, they'd let me in because they knew I didn't drink. You know, yeah. and you didn't have to worry about that. Like, yeah. if you knew, if you knew you had a kid, like, didn't drink, and just was like in there to see the music, would stand outside till the music started. You didn't have to worry about the cops, right? 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 It was like a different kind of ID situation. It's like, okay, well, like, yeah, we have to worry about kids that drink, but this kid doesn't drink. He's just here to see the music. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. Like, I, 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 I going to make us lose our liquor license. I, n- you know? I know exactly what you mean. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to play something from that. Sorry era. about that. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I, I, I always I, like to interview mid-show. I like I like that diversion. And and I ha- I have to note. I mean, I heard you kind of walking. It sounds like you're now recording in the bathroom. You're very like weird and echoey and sort of distant. But I'm in the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen <laughs> next to the pot roast. <laughs> Yeah, I made a great pot roast. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go to around that era, a band I know you know from Boston. Um, well, I love Dump Truck. Okay, you I, already told me this. I, so. I already told you I'm playing Dump Truck. Uh, and and you know, a band I saw live a couple of times that I haven't listened to in at least 20 years. I have not. I never <clears throat> saw them live. I always liked them at the time. Uh I never, they they were one of those bands that always just seemed like on the verge of greatness. Um, 
they would be mentioned in the same breath as the replacements in REM. You know, they their first album came out in 1983. Their second one came out in 86. Um, they were contemporaries of all those bands. They were contemporaries of like Buffalo Tom because they were from Boston. Well, I was going to say, like, I, I sort of felt like Buffalo Tom got the same treatment. Yeah, you know, but I think they've just been forgotten. Um, like, oh, yeah, definitely. Completely forgotten. And they had some really, really good songs. Um, and I, I don't think I, I don't, pretty sure I never got to see them live because they released this album um, that I'm going to play a song from for the country in 1987. And then I think they kind of took a little oh, bit of a break. Um, so the, the era that I would have been likely to see them between 87 and their next album came out in 94, that was like my prime going to see live music time and as a boston band they just weren't touring um to the west coast so i i I never saw them but i always enjoyed them and you know and maybe in retrospect that hiatus is what killed them because that was kind of they missed the whole nirvana breaking by the time they put out their next album in 94 uh Maybe the world had moved past them. I don't know. Um, but they, and that's how it works. They, the industry changed. They just they just feel like kind of similar to angst in a way, not nearly as punk rock, but or like they, moving targets from the or moving city. targets. Yeah, but they just they felt like a precursor to a lot of the Uncle Tupelo, um, almost Americana, you know, rock, but with a little bit of a country tinge to them. Well, um, Miracle Legion. Did you ever listen to them? Yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, Miracle Legion, I would, I would think of as more like REM, you know. Like, oh yeah, no, Dump Truck would have opened for REM for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll play a song, 1987's "For the Country" album. This one's called "Cool Carefree." <laughs> Gone and I 
interesting. For me, they would have been a band I would have gotten into right around the same time I got into the Feelies. Um, yeah. They would definitely would have played shows at the Feelies. Yeah. Who, you know, I think all these bands that we've talked about, with the exception of maybe the Moving Targets, who I haven't thought about in a long time, um, and were a great band. Well, they were like, yeah, they were a lot like Mission of Burma in a great way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of those bands, have, the history has been relatively kind to them. I mean, history has been kind to bands like The Replacements and... Well, they were historic. Well, right, but, like, they, they certainly were. Um, but they've been they've been honored, you know. And oh, there, totally. There were a yeah. lot of bands that were... Uh, situationally for whatever reason never able to get to the place of being honored and i think a band like dump truck is 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 one of them i mean it's not that um you know the songwriter i don't i'm not even sure who the name of the the songwriter is it's not like he's up hall westberg necessarily but like they had some really good songs they were uh, you've seen them live i think they were probably a very good live band um, very good like there's like a <clears throat> certain amount of like um, back then in the eighties, there was a certain amount of like respect given to like a room uh, that held three or four hundred people, and putting a band in there that could rock the room, and yeah. like it didn't matter who it was or what they were doing. It was yeah. just like yeah, and I think you you mentioned before you played Dump Truck about the grunge era and stuff like that, um, and that sort of like separation between mid 80s and late 80s and early 90s and sub pop sort of stole the scene and that whole like kind of like you know grunge i think like kind of a band like kind of wrecked by grunge because there was a kind of movement against like melodic like dump truck was Mm -hmm. very solid you know just like a great rock band windbreakers and another band that we played on the show before yeah um um, even DBs who like were before, but like still like there was like this movement away from like I don't even know if it was like an REM reaction, but like there was a movement against like that kind of birds feel. Right, and they, um, they were, for better or worse, I think they were lumped in with the REM crew, even though they were from Boston because they were recording at the drive-in in in Winston Salem with Don Dixon. Hurt you know, who recorded. Genius, great guy. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, kind of along those same lines of like Guadalcanal Diary and a lot of these. Oh, great band. A lot of I I think like those bands were Zeitgeist, um, the Reavers, like. Yep. Those bands like made very well-crafted pop songs Mm -hmm. and they rocked and they could definitely entertain a room. But I think that like, kind of like grunge, like out of the blue, like kind of like stole the thunder. So then you got to like, you know, a band like the band I was in, Pavement, and like we had to take all those influences and like kind of like mix them all with our own esprit de corps, you know, sure. like. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> and So like we had the advantage of coming after all of that, you know. That's true, that's true. And so there wasn't, like, I remember when you guys... But, like, what was sub-hop and grunge was, like, so not us. Well, 
and that's fair. We would go see all those bands, like you know. I remember. I remember when when Pavement first dropped. I mean, Matador was pretty new. Matador was in New York, or uh, even Drag City. You know, Um, they were both relatively new labels. Um, You know, Matador as the first. Matador was fully Gerard. Yeah, but it was it was it was for me like I didn't. I guess I didn't realize and I didn't have the Homestead connection because I wasn't even know enough to realize that he had been, you know, the founder of Homestead Records, whatever. So to me, when when I first heard Pavement, it was in just hearing, oh, this is a band from Stockton, like it had no scene, you know, there was nothing that I could hook it to. There was, it wasn't like, oh, these are people connected to R.E.M. because the same producer, Mitch Easter. What, like, there was nothing to ground me at all because right. Drag City was new, Matador was new, it's a Stockton band. Like, it was just like there was no other context. There, even, even the names of the band members were like clouded in obscurity you know, spiral stairs and SM. And it's like, like, who are these people? Where are they coming from? Like I didn't. And I think thinking back on it, that may have worked in pavement's favor because there, oh, totally. there wasn't any. Totally. There was an air of mystery. Yeah. There was an air of mystery and there, and, and it wasn't like you couldn't just like put them in a box and be like, Oh, okay. I get it. It's, you know, it's the REM scene, or it's the sub pop scene, or whatever. It's just it was its own thing, and you were like, "What the fuck is this?" <clears throat> we were, we continued very fortunate, very fortunate band, and I'm happy that like we can we've backed it up with some decent well, performances along the way. And you know? I mean, I think I think the reason why is because <clears throat> the music was there, it, like the songs were there, and you know, it wasn't just. A mystery but the mystery certainly helped yeah no definitely i mean like you know i i am like mike you know these are one of those these things when it comes to like being in a band like and music and stuff like any amount of success is just confuses me <laughs> like to this day and even with like a lot of the people that i work with a lot of people that you work with it little brother like I'm mystified by, like, how people will react. And, like, you know, I'd like to think that, like, most of it's the music, but there's also, like, style Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, the zeitgeist, you know, the spirit of the times. Like, you've got to hit the nail nail on the head. Like, so, like, why were, like, why was a band like Mudhoney so much bigger than everybody on sub pop except for Nirvana. And like, why was Nirvana, you know, it's just like, right. you can, you can em- envelope like any, you can go back to like mutant pop, you know, like, like who steps out. It could have been like, you know, it's just so weird, like how right. it all works, but like, right. You know, I, yeah. anyways, like- I'll shift. I'll, I'll make a major, I'll take the um, stick and I'll go from fourth gear to second gear. Okay. So we'll slow down. We're going to cruise into town. We're going to croissant. Okay. Okay. I'm going to. I'll take it to Derham and Norfolk, a fantastic singer songwriter named Beth Horton, who as a as a teenager moved to Dalston 
which is in North London, not far from Stoke Newington, which is a place where I spent a lot of time. Dawson, of course, is the home of Cafe Auto, which is one of the greatest clubs in the world. Very small club. And um, Beth Orton has made an amazing amount of songs. And like I, I was turned on to her music by a roadie named Matty Wall that we brought in in emergency situations. A friend of Andy Dimmick's, Eric Stapp, that played earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest guys of all time. And like Beth Orton was his main gig. Okay. English singer songwriter, and uh, this is from her 1999 album Central Reservations, which is on Heavenly um, Heavenly Heavenly Records, and it's a great song called Stolen Car.
So I think similar to what we were talking about earlier, I think she's someone that's just a complete blind spot for me because I think she was around at the time when, or she started at the time when I was not as actively following music. Or at least no, that... I think she started like in '93 because like I never yeah. would have known Maddie. Okay. Like Maddie, I, I mean, I knew him in the '90s. Yeah, I don't... biggest Leighton Orient fan in the world. I don't know. I don't know her stuff nearly as well as I probably should. I'm, I'm familiar with her name for sure, but. You, you know. can't go wrong, and she's okay. just like, she's your age, and like she's just one of these like amazingly talented singer songwriters who's an actress as well, mm. and like uh, just like a complete badass, you know. So like, yeah, you could miss it. And from the UK, you said, yeah, from from she grew up in London, but like she's from Durham, Norfolk. Okay, cool. I mean, it's like long discography like right delve in like right i mean she's almost, i've played her like one of her most famous songs you know almost a little intimidating is so central reservation is that a good record to start with or yeah oh uh, no all of them are good okay <laughs> yeah it's great right. driving music like she's just great like okay. i like that that was good thank um, you i will uh i'll end the show and i'm gonna end the show We've with a bang, of, apparently, we, with we, a bang. We've we've bounced around a little bit in styles. I was gonna say like dump truck, like D is for dump trucks. The record app. that's that's like, D, D is for dr- dump truck is yeah, and I, I I like for the country as well. Those two. But there's like then they what's up with that big time records? Remember that? It was yeah, just like yeah, big time records. They were a UK label. Um, they had. Uh, the Jazz Butcher was on, who I who I love. Another another band I think did not get their due. Um, oh, we'll hear them on a future show. I I've I think I've played them before, but I I, I should play them again for sure. Um, yeah, because they deserve it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, one of those kind of big ish indie labels in the eighties that that you know, disappeared for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, big time. Sounds like you're moving. Yeah, anyways, sorry you, about that. Are you moving You're moving locations? Yeah, you know, it's 21 degrees, Mike. Okay, you're getting warm. All right, well, I will I will warm you up. This will get you moving, maybe. Uh, I'm going to play something maybe. from, from yeah. D- Detroit. I'm going to go back to 1970, Detroit, Michigan, uh, a little band founded by Mr. George Clinton, founder of the Parliaments in Parliament, but this is Funkadelic. Oh, Lord. And I don't know, you know, I don't know the difference between, you know, what makes it a Parliament record, what makes it a Funkadelic record. I have both. I love both. I'm certainly not an expert in either, um, but I know it's good shit. And this is from... (laughs) This is from Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, 1970. This is Funky Dollar Bill.
love and live your life But think about it twice The pusher push, the fix of this The judge of quits, the junkie lose his life For the dollar bill For the dollar bill Learns much too late. He was never home. He worked two jobs and quit at home. He had to So, for me, they were a band, when I mean, we talk about me rediscovering music, like, I, I, what I don't understand is why they are not one of the great classic rock bands. I always thought of them as a funk band, and maybe that is a, a little bit of, like, inherent racism, because they were all black. Well, they were called Funkadelic. And because they were called Funkadelic, but they were a rock band. I mean, they certainly were funky at times, but make no uh, mistake. That's part of rock and roll, isn't it? They were Funk's, a Funk's fucking a major rock part of band. rock and roll. Yes. Like, and, you know, I mean, Eddie Hazel kind of picks up where Jimi Hendrix left off as a guitar hero and a rock guitar hero. Uh, Eddie Hazel is just incredible and why a song like that is not played on classic rock stations i just don't get i i think that probably because they didn't want that yeah but you know i mean maybe but like it was on major labels and the major labels probably wanted that and yeah you get a point there uh, i have no idea like yeah you could have been like you know racism in the 70s 80s 
and payola and all that. You like there's all these sorts of reasons why, you know, some stuff stuck and some stuff didn't. But like that sort of song should be up there with oh, I don't know, like Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. Like I could I could hear it following that or even Smoke on the Water. Like those songs just feel so iconic to me and uh see like power rock radio like still to this day with like iheart radio stuff like that it's like completely pre-programmed like yeah well sure you gotta go a long way back to like when like djs had freedom to like play what they wanted absolutely but for whatever reason like i certainly never heard it in the la radio stations that i was listening to i think you've been more likely to hear it there yeah right Right. Maybe in Detroit. Maybe in Detroit. And, you know, but Detroit I think, probably had like big stations that celebrated a tremendous array of music. Like growing up in Richmond or like you growing up in the LA area, like, you know, it's all like kind of pre programmed. It's it's true. And it's a, it's a good question. And it's actually. It's interesting how MTV sort of changed that. Like MTV actually, like when they just like, when they first started, like, they actually like broaden the horizons of like choice. Yeah, true, true. Because genre they brought in like less. music around the world and like yeah. I mean, they actually like they don't get the credit for that. Like at some point, I was trying like Whitney also. Um, she's forty and like she, you know, MTV. I remember being in ninth grade, and so you would have been like fifth grade when like MTV became a thing and yeah. like. MTV actually was kind of revolutionary compared to the radio. It was. It was. And there was college radio if you wanted to get weird, but then he had to depend on the DJ. And the thing with MTV was it was by necessity because at the time when they first started, I remember this, they had very few videos to play. And so it was a combination of like old Black Sabbath, you know, like what they called promo clips not even videos, but promo clips from like the early seventies. Um, and then what they would, what would be known as more of like the early eighties new wave videos, like video killed the radio star. Yeah. The buggles Thomas, and like, uh, Thomas Dolby, Thomas and, Dolby for sure. And, and, um, modern English, modern English. And, you know, of course, culture Mike, club, Michael Jackson, the culture club and stuff like that. But even, even, like as bands were kind of struggling to figure out what this new medium was, they were still playing these weird old like pseudo live performances or actual live performances of songs, you know, from the early seventies from, Oh, there's always like George Thorogood classic rock bands. Yeah. But that even came later. That came later. I'm thinking of Tom Petty. Right. Well, Journey was big on there from the start. That's that's true, but I'm thinking of like when they would play. They would. I remember they would like play, the Who and stuff. Yeah, they would play these. You know what they called promo clips from like the early '70s, like way before anything like MTV was even imagined. You know, it's just these sort of live, like live. It looked like live performances, but it was, you know dubbed over with the song from the record um and so one thing that's interesting to me is like bands still make videos do they like oh totally like if you like even if like the last 60 songs that we've played on the show 
okay? Um, regardless of the genre, like, bands still make videos. And, like, it's amazing to me that, like, you've got to, like, dig, like, really deep. They're still not, like, not in this country. I think there is in Europe. Um, but, like, there's not, like, a music video channel. No, no, not really. Yeah. It's weird to think about, like, it's like, a, you know, a kid like Teddy is, like, what, eight? Seven. Yeah, so you could, like, watch music videos all day. You know, there's sports and news and, like, you know, everything else on TV. But, like, so you could comprise, like, I mean, it's just, it's weird to me. Like, there's not, like, a channel where you just can't, like, zone out and have, like, at the same time, like, Cardi B videos, like, backed up by, like, you know, the police videos. Right. And there's, like, millions and millions and millions of, like, songs on video. Like, you'd have no problem getting modern-day VJs. For sure. That, you know, that are, like, tastemakers that aren't obscurous like us or whatever. Right. But, like, I mean, it's just, like, you could reintroduce, like, that early ethic of MTV and have, like, a tremendous amount of, like, whatever, have, like, a directory board that says, you know, your playlist and stuff, but, like, it's just, you, you could, like, recreate, like, MTV, like, 120 minutes right now, midnight on Saturday nights, and, like, people would be on the edge of their seat for, like, the new anything. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's definitely videos being made. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's a thing. Cool. Well, do it. You got to watch them on YouTube. I think YouTube is, like, so people just, like, depend on that on YouTube, but YouTube doesn't have any shows. No, that's true. There's no yeah. curation. It's all it's all user curated. It's all like, it's like yeah, you just make your own you make your own playlist just like yeah. you do on any of the other things, you yeah. know. Right. In the algorithms. Um Yeah. Anyway, but, it was a good idea, like the uh so the Funkadelic that, that that sort of cues us up and tees us up for our next episode where we're gonna have a guest after yeah, we have a guest. So, well, should we leave it a mystery or should we like let no well well we'll just say we'll have Let's a guest. Let's leave it a mystery. We we'll have leave a it guest a, on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve. Wednesday night we're gonna have a guest from the Detroit area. Um so we will we, we can ask this guest if uh like how pervasive Funkadelic is on the Detroit sound and uh, Detroit radio, even to this day, I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll know. I'm sure. Cool. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. So, uh, all right. Well, yeah, great speaking with you tonight. You and, too. Uh, Always a pleasure. Love you, man. Um, I, and I mean that. I love you too, Mike. I absolutely <laughs> love you. Uh, yeah. you miss know. you, mate. You know, like miss you, we're coming miss over you too. Thanksgiving. You know? Miss you too. Yeah. Um. Well, we'll talk before then. But yeah. Stay healthy, stay safe. Love you all, everyone out there listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Yeah. Thanks. You know. uh, yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to all of y'all. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And we'll do this again soon. All right. Later. <laughs>